Well, we're going to jump in today. We got a lot to talk about, and I think this is going to be very beneficial for many people in this topic. And I just, again, want to throw out thanks and honor to those that are hosting uh, this conference and, of course, the Awakening Hope and Faith Conference and uh, with Ben Diaz and Kara, his wife, and, of course, Pastor Freddie, who put this on. And I just got to say, this is going to be a powerful uh, time in the Word of God. I'm going to jump in. I believe I have a now word for those of you that are watching, that are joining in. I believe the Word of God is going to wake up inside your heart. I believe the Word of God is going to bring a now revelatory understanding uh, in your life and bring you forward. So one of the things I want to talk about, you know, and, and uh, we've done things all over the world and for many years talked about in the church, the government, and the marketplace. And in the middle of this, you know, I guess you could call it a a fear crisis and some of these things. I think the things that are happening are legitimate, they're real, but at the same time, there's a lot of it that's being marshaled by the spirit of the age and by a spirit of fear. And I want to say very clearly to you today, there's nothing to fear but fear itself. And I know there's an economic shaking and things that are happening. Back in March, the early part of March, the Lord woke me up with a, a dream and a, a now word. And I shared it from our platform at our, our home church, Karis Christian Center, with Pastor Lawson Purdue, who you're about to see in just a little bit, everybody. And uh, in that process, I began to share this word. And the Lord spoke to me right out of the gate about this whole circumstance of what this corona thing has induced and all that. And right out of the gate, the Lord gave me a word about three waves that would begin to happen. And you can see it on our Facebook page and maybe even YouTube channel, the Joseph Z Facebook page or YouTube channel. But we came out and shared this and I saw three things. I saw David fought the lion, David fought the bear, and David fought Goliath, right? The lion, the bear, and Goliath. And in that process, uh, I recognize that I believe the Spirit of the Lord is saying the lion roars like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And this lion that was roaring, I believe, is shouting Corona, Corona, a real circumstance that's being marshaled against righteousness and marshaled against the good of the nations. And so then secondly, the bear came out, right? The bear, David fought the lion, then the bear. And the Lord spoke to me about a bear market, that the market would be a bear understanding and that there was going to be breakthrough in that one way or another. Now, we may not see a full recovery the way we want. It may be rocky, it may be shaky, but it's going to be a better circumstance than what it could have been. So I saw a bear market. And then the third point I began to see is Goliath. And I believe Goliath represents this coming election cycle in 2020, where Goliath is trying to take authority and dominate the people of God and trying to stop righteousness. And uh, back in January and February, I stood up and gave a word about Proverbs 29.2, when the righteous rule, the people rejoice, but when the wicked are in power, the people groan. Now I'm laying some foundation with this because then I'm going to get into the word of God and talk about your perception being reality and how you mix faith with the word of God and get things accomplished. And so this is going to really help you, man. If you hang in here with me, I believe you're going to walk away from this teaching encouraged and strengthened by the power of the Holy Ghost. And so I got into this understanding and the Lord began to show me a number of things involving uh, that David beat Goliath. He used Goliath's sword to finally take his head. And at the end of everything, you realize later on, David was going through a season of persecution after his victory against the giant. He went into a priest and he said, uh, do you have any weapons here? And they said, none except the sword of the giant whom you killed. And David said, there's none like it. Give it to me. So David took that sword and he used it as his own weaponry. And I believe there's a word in this going beyond 2020 into 2024, that there's going to be the things that have tried to destroy 
the righteous or the good leaders in this world and all that. I believe the very weaponry, whether it be media or circumstances, economy, whatever, we're going to find that the very things that try to destroy us will actually be turned for our good in some areas. And we're going to have victory and righteousness that begins to bring uh, life through that. Now, this is, there's a lot of understanding I have with this that I think is going to begin to help you. And so looking at that, I believe the hand of God is going to begin to give you a now word in this and wake you up in Jesus' name. Now, let's talk about this a little bit further as we're looking at some of these things. We realize that I believe God said to me also um, just a few days ago, and I want to share one more word that I got. Maybe this will help you and encourage you. You pray about it. You know, God speaks to you. Maybe you'll know what the Lord is actually saying or not saying in this circumstance. But I had the Lord speak to me strongly. I woke up one morning uh, about two weeks ago, and the Lord spoke the word Ramoth Gilead to me. Ramoth Gilead. Ramoth Gilead is like a Minneapolis-St. Paul-type Twin Cities area in the early church times or even biblical history times. And it was a place where it was supposed to produce what they called the Balm of Gilead. This Balm of Gilead was a healing ointment that went out to the other areas. It was like a salve that people would get, and it was produced in Ramoth Gilead, Gilead. So there was a, a name for it called the Balm of Gilead. As a matter of fact, Jeremiah the prophet references it, and he says, is there no Balm in Gilead? And if there's no Balm in Gilead, we're in trouble, right? But then also, historically, Jesus is referenced as the Balm of Gilead. The Balm of Gilead, the, the Jesus Christ, the Messiah, he's the Balm of Gilead. Some of those things you begin to recognize. And in the process of being the Balm of Gilead, the Lord began to show me circumstances involving this now word about Ramoth Gilead. Ramoth Gilead was all known first and foremost for its purpose of being the place that produced the Balm of Gilead. But then secondly, it's also by some commentators and, and people that study, they literally thought it might also be the place of Armageddon. And the Lord gave me a now word about this and said, there's two avenues some of this could go. We could induce some circumstances sooner than we should be inducing, or we're going to turn to the Lord as a nation and begin to see the righteous come into their divine purpose, go forward with what they're called to do. And we will begin to see the balm of Gilead come on our nation or the nations that are watching this right now. And then suddenly after this, and it's not about how things went or are going, but suddenly after that three days, I announced that on April the, I think 12th and 13th, I made that announcement. Then on April 16th, President Trump came out and gave a word or rather an announcement about that Gilead Medical had come out with a treatment for Corona. And some of these things, I thought, my goodness, God, you spoke to me about Gilead, the balm of Gilead. Now, I'm not saying that treatment's going to work. I'm not saying it's going to be a great thing to invest in any of that. It might actually rock, get rocky and go down. It might go up. I don't know. But what I do know is God spoke to me a now word. And it was just a sign to me in that moment that I believe Gilead represents the United States and the nations. If they're serving God, they're going to come through. And I believe also in this season too, any nation that's standing with Israel will have a special grace on them to come through in the middle of this adversity. Now, there's a lot I want to talk to you about. So those are some prophetic things I saw, and I want to share those right out of the gate with you to begin to see this. And the Lord began to speak to me that I believe we're going to see this come through. Now, even if it's a very difficult circumstance or a bad circumstance after this whole season passes and we find ourselves in difficult times and days, it's still better than what it could have been. 
I believe the Lord showed me it will still be better than what it could have been had we not seen the intervention of the Lord and also had the right people in leadership. Now, let me go forward. Now, I have a word for you today. I'm going to talk about some things that I believe God is going to begin to speak to you directly. You know, God does nothing unless he first reveals it to his prophets. There's, there's things you got to understand. And that means the collective body of Christ, the now voices of God, the, the fivefold ministry and these type of things. And I believe I have a now word for you and the congregation and the people that might be watching this right now. I believe I have a word of encouragement and a word that's going to ignite your heart in a way that brings favor and victory in a lot of areas and a lot of understanding. So let's jump into this. I, I really wanted to start talking about this. Since this is awakening hope and faith, I think this is going to really be a blessing to you. So get ready to get some uh, steak dispensing. This is not going to be a Twinkie message. This is going to be some steak. And I think it's going to really help you advance into all that you have and all of that. And earlier on, I had a different shirt on. I removed it because it looked grainy and I wanted to make sure it didn't bother people's eyes. So I don't know how that's going, but Praise God. What's up, man? <laughs> All right. And so, yeah, awesome. Praise God. So I'm going to jump into this. I want to talk to you about the perception of God's goodness, the perception of God's goodness. And I believe this is going to be very important as we're looking at some of the things God has in this season. There's a lot of people that, you know, the prophetic movement begins to rise in this moment and they start to give vague things and people are running in circles. They don't know what to do. And I want to tell you, we're the people of God. And like Ben taught us earlier, the last few weeks, even from the book of Jonah and walking in forgiveness and love with people and then doing what God called him to do, I believe this is an opportunity for a now word to begin to rise to our divine occasion. I believe this could be the church's greatest hour as we go forward. And as we're looking at some of these things, I want to talk to you about how your perception of God's goodness is very important right now. Do you know that you can actually get, listen now, you can actually get from God what you're believing for. How you believe God will impact how you receive from God. This is important. We see this in, in uh, 3 John chapter 2, where it says, Beloved, I wish above all things that you'd prosper, be in health, even as your soul prospers. And the, the issue with some of that is that sometimes people, they don't realize that the soul prosperity is how you receive from God or your level of believing determines your level, your level of receiving. And so I'm going to talk to you from the Word of God about a couple of guys named James and John out of the word. There's two guys named James and John. They were sons of thunder, Jesus called them. And they were also brothers. These two brothers, James and John, really important, really an understanding. I want to give you an example of the perception of God's goodness. And by the time we're done talking about this, I think you're going to find your heart stirred and very encouraged. I got to tell you, I'm encouraged today. There was a spirit on the early church the spirit of the early church, where they would be fed to lions. You know, Nero would burn people at the stake, okay, in his garden, use people as human torches. And yet you see joy, you see encouragement coming through those that had a revelation of the finished works of Jesus. And I believe that's what we can offer this world. I believe that when it says in Philippians, we should no way be terrified of anything. I believe the strength in that is it says it's a sign to those that you are of God and a sign to the world that they're on the road to perdition. 
<laughs> Meaning that we, we have the life of God. We have the life of the spirit. We are filled with joy, peace, and all these things. And it should be a sign that there's a difference between you and how the world responds to things. Now, let's look at this very quickly. Uh, James and John, you know, you recognize these two guys, James and John, they were, they were quite the pair. Uh, they were called, uh, I think the word is Boanerges, and, and Jesus began to uh, say that they, they were the sons of thunder because they were probably loud out there on the, uh, the ocean, and they were doing these things on the sea. And I'm sure they probably didn't use the most uh, uh, wonderful words and etiquette and speech. <laughs> and, and, uh, but Jesus called them the sons of thunder. Now, the sons of thunder in this picture, I believe uh, they started to follow the Lord. And then I also believe that you see these two guys were really bold with Jesus in areas they probably should not have been. You see an example of this in Mark chapter 10 and verse 35 where they come to Jesus and it goes all the way through verse 45, if you want the whole narrative, but they come to Jesus and they said, Hey, and it was actually John who piped up in one instance and his mom was there. If you read it and you compare it in the gospels and all that, but John, John pipes up and says, Lord, do for us what we ask, do for us what we ask. We want to be seated at your right and left hand in the kingdom come basically. And Jesus said to them, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink of? Can you drink of the cup that I'm going to drink of? And they said, absolutely. Yes, we can. We can drink of that cup, Lord. We're going to do it. We can do it. And he said, you will drink of the cup I'm going to drink of. And then Jesus went on and said, but it's not determined. I can't make the decision for you if you're going to be seated at my right and left hand. Now, my purpose in bringing this out is, is both of them were told, you're going to drink the cup that I drink of. Now, this cup he's talking about is the difficulty, the trials, the persecutions, the death, all the things that came upon them. Now, I'm saying this to set a precedent for where we're going next. Now, here's Jesus that said to two men, he said to both Mark, or excuse me, James and John, he said to both James and John out of the book of Mark, he said, you will both drink of my cup, right? And this cup meant unpleasant things were coming in their future. Jesus had a cup to drink of. He didn't want to drink of it in the garden of Gethsemane. He's like, Lord, if this can be taken from me, please take it from me. And Jesus finally made up his mind and said, you know what? I am God. I am in, in Father God, and I identify with God. And if you see in John chapter 8, or 18 rather, you recognize that when he said, I am, the, the garden troops that came to get him, they all drew back and fell to the ground because Jesus came to the fullness of his identity in John chapter 18, where he says, they said, are you Jesus of Nazareth? Are you the one they call Jesus? He said, hold on. He said, I am he. And in the Greek, the word he is not there. Jesus looked at them and said, I am. So it was time for him to drink his cup. It was time for him to come into the full revelation of who he was. And when he said, I am, I am, he said the same I am in a revelation of who he was in God that caused those soldiers, 600 foot soldiers in the Garden of Gethsemane in John chapter 18, to draw back and fall to the ground. People say, can people actually fall down in the Holy Spirit in the New Testament? Well, Jesus had it happen to 600 guys that didn't even like him very much. And uh, they fell down and they fell down under the power of God because he said, I am. And consequently, uh, there's another experience that happened where a little boy was running in grave clothes. If you look at it, and people thought it was one of the disciples. It wasn't one of the disciples. This boy is running through the woods and they grabbed the garment and pulled it off the boy. And as the boy is running, he ran away naked. And it wasn't one of the disciples. Gethsemane was a graveyard, and I believe this boy was in a shallow grave, and when Jesus released the revelation of his identity, I am, 
He said it. The guards fell down. And I believe in that moment, power shot out and a boy jumped up out of the dead, out of the tomb. And he went running. And when that happened, I think the guards went, hey, get the kid, get the kid. There's another one like Lazarus. There's another one that he did, another miracle proving against our argument that we've got to stop this guy. So in that experience, Jesus is now coming to the revelation of, I'm going to drink from the cup. I'm drinking from the cup that, that's been prepared for me. And he said, again, to James and John, you will also drink of this cup. But you, you know, it's not determined if you're going to sit at my right hand and left hand. So Jesus came into his full maturity of who he was called to be. He came all the way in and he said, I am. In other words, they said, are you Jesus? He said, no, no, you don't understand. I am the same I am that was on Sinai, the same I am that parted the Red Sea, the same I am that I am that spoke to Moses from the burning bush. Jesus said, no, you don't understand. I'm God. I'm God, baby. And he was on the scene and he starts stepping into that scene, right? Yeah, come on. <laughs> and so Jesus does this. And in that process, he says that. But now, so Jesus being the prototype, the author and finisher of our faith, he accepted his perception. He came to the full understanding of who he was called to be. Jesus gets in the saddle of his perfect calling. He received the cup and said, out of obedience, he's going to be given the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that he is Lord, right? Now, let me go back and talk about James and John. James and John were also told you're going to be given the same cup. You're going to follow me. You're going to do these things. You're going to be given the same cup. James and John have this experience. They're walking through the process. And in this understanding, you begin to realize they asked for these seats. He said, you don't know what you're asking. They go ahead and ask anyway. But I want to point something out to you strongly, ladies and gentlemen. Listen to me very clearly. This is going to really help some of you right now. James and John were brothers, brothers from the same mother, right? They came forward. They're, <laughs> they're called of God. They're going for it. James and John began to, for lack of a better word, they began to follow Jesus. But if you look closely at their life, there's a difference between them. And that difference is their perception or the way they related to God. If you look into the writings of James, which I love the book of James, what an awesome book from the Bible, who he is and all that. His perception was, I will show you my faith by my works. And amen to that. That's a part of the gospel. It's what we do. And when you balance that with Romans, it's amazing. So James is saying these things. He's saying some strong stuff. James is like the New Testament Proverbs. He had a hardcore view of God. And it was accurate. James is accurate. He had a hardcore view of some things. But then the same guy who was told, you're going to drink from the cup, John, the other brother, he began to relate to Jesus as the beloved of the Lord. He began to have an understanding that God loves me more than he loves all these other guys. Now, that's not the truth because God loves everybody the same, but that was John's truth. John believed he was loved above everybody else. He believed he was the beloved of the Lord. So here you have a comparison. You got James, who is a lot like Paul, who's saying, I'm going to do this for God. I'm going to show you how it gets done. And then you have John who says, yeah, I'm the beloved of God. Now let's talk about how they ended really quickly. James, the one who loved God with his whole life, began to teach the word of God and, and stir the troops and say, let's get after it. Let's show God what we can do for him. We're saved by grace. We live in faith. We do these things. But listen now, we're going to get after it. James was killed by the sword. In other words, James died earlier than he should have, I believe. I believe a lot of it had to do with his perception 
of his relationship to God. Even though he had the gospel, he had the truth. James died by the sword, but not John. John was called the beloved. And you even see Peter and them knew that when they were on the seashore. And uh, God, uh, Jesus spoke to Peter and said, hey, by this, you're going to be led around when you're old and you won't enjoy the way basically you're going to die. He predicted how Peter was going to die. And Peter's initial response to that wasn't, but Lord, I love you and your will be done. I'm going to go after you and all that. His initial response was, Lord, what about this one in the end of book of John? You recognize Peter points over to John, the beloved, and said, but what about this one? You're saying how I'm going to die. What about that one right there? Because everybody knows you love this guy. And John uh, said, well, he didn't say I would never die. Jesus said, if he does not die, what is it to you, right? And so John said, and he had to, he had to give a disclaimer. He said, well, he didn't say I would never die like everybody else. He just said, what is it to you? And I'm paraphrasing. Now, we do recognize, though, of all the disciples, both John and James, were told they're going to drink of the Lord's cup. Peter was crucified upside down. Paul was beheaded. G James was literally killed with the sword at the request of an evil king. And it pleased people. And later on, John, now many years, 60 plus years after all these events, Paul has been dead. All these things are happening. Now, John's an old man in his 90s. John's 90-something years old, and suddenly Domitian, this evil guy named Domitian, is in charge, and he calls out and says, this pleases the people if I persecute these Jewish uh, people, these Christians, whatever, and he calls out John, and they have John arrested, and they tell him to basically renounce his faith, or they're going to torture him. So they prepare a giant vat of burning oil in this giant cauldron or pot. They boiling oil and they take the old man, John, in his 90s and say, renounce your faith, worship these other gods, or we're going to boil you alive. And John basically said, no, I'm not doing it. This is extra biblical church history. They take John and they throw that old man of faith into the boiling oil. John is in the vat of boiling oil and it says they took a hook. I think it's Tertullian that says they took a hook, they scoop into the oil, and as they're pulling up this hook, they look, and on that hook was sitting John the Revelator, John the Apostle. And he's there, and he says, hey, guys, <laughs> he's doing just fine. Now, I want to present to you something. And, and, and through that narrative, we realize John gets exiled to the island of Patmos. John's on the island. He's stuck out there. He gets a revelation from Jesus on the island. Things happen. John comes back, writes 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and finishes the book of Revelation uh, during that time. So he writes 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John after he has the book, after he has the Revelation. And he does that from his home in Ephesus, overlooking the city. And many people believe, scholars believe, he lived well into uh, past 100 years old, well past. And he wrote these books. John died of natural causes of old age. Now, he's the only guy <laughs> of the disciples that lived out his whole life to a very old age. Now, what am I saying? I wanna to say to you, it matters your perception of God. As a matter of fact, I believe when you are convinced that God loves you and no matter what goes on, God loves you so much that no matter what's happening in your circumstances, no matter how this thing looks, no matter what the events are that are taking place around you, no matter what it looks like in the eyes of man, uh, people in the church that might have a fear doctrine, people in the church that might be saying, oh no, God's judging things, God's doing that. If you can employ the same grace and faith that John did of God loves me the most. And that's not, that's not how it is. He loves all his kids. 
but to you, that's your truth. I'll tell you, something is in that that's missing in many places. When you recognize that, I believe there is a strength and, a, and a, a power in that that can create longevity and supernatural ability to do things. I want to say something to you right now also. Many people may or may not believe this, but did you know that I believe strongly, if you have a heart of love and a perception that God loves you so much that you can literally be... Um, you, you literally have favor above all, and you're, you do corresponding action with that, I believe strongly you can literally begin to discover that God will actually rearrange travel plans, schedule plans, uh, events he's doing in the world or with other people, working through people. I believe you can alter God's plans sometimes based on your faith and your pure heartedness towards him like John's belief, altered the cup he was supposed to drink. So he drank of the cup, right? Uh, James drank of the cup, and it was his demise. John drank of the cup, and it had no effect on him. I hope you're hearing me. John drank of the same cup, and it had no effect on him. Jesus said, you will drink of the cup. He was boiled in oil among exile, uh, difficulty, persecution, but literally he came through it and was able to live out his latter years because he was the beloved of God. He was a prophet of God, the revelator of God. He ended up living out the long term and how you perceive things is important. Let me give you a couple quick other examples. Let's jump forward. Use your imagination with me. I want you to picture Psalm 24. Psalm 24, as Charles Spurgeon said in the, the Treasury of David commentary, Psalm 24 talks about there's a circumstance where Jesus is breaking captivity out of captive, captivity. He's taking the captives out of captivity, meaning he's in Abraham's bosom, he's in paradise, and he's setting the prisoners free, okay? This is after he died, uh, uh, is in the grave, things happen. Uh, he begins to fight the battle in the realm of the unseen. Jesus now is leading captivity captive. I believe he kicked in the gates of hell, walks into Abraham's bosom. I think Psalm 22 alludes to some of these things. The bulls of Bashan are around him, gaping at him with their mouths open. I believe that has to do with a supernatural sense behind the veil after Jesus died, what he actually took on in the realm of the spirit. So you see in Psalm 24, though, the conclusion to this battle, this epic cosmic battle behind the scenes. And Jesus says okay enough i have i'm die i've died i've paid the price and now it's time to come back to the father so jesus is in psalm 24 and you begin to see this volley happen in psalm 24 where he's leading captivity captive he's coming out of the grave out of abraham's bosom and he's going towards heaven and you hear the volley of the angels the angels in heaven and the angels that are with jesus and the angels in heaven shout out in psalm 24 who is this king of glory? And the angels that are with Jesus in this, this parade towards heaven say, the Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. And they shout again in heaven, who is this king of glory? And they're like, the Lord, God almighty. And then, they, and then these angels shout to the ones in heaven. So lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up your heads, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in, right? And Jesus is coming as a returning king with the, the people of God that have been in bondage. Abraham, all the people in the Old Testament that are stuck with him, they're coming up into heaven, right? They're in this circumstance. They're bringing the gospel. They're, they're saying, we won. Now, listen to me very carefully. In this narrative, this is the moment that Jesus is coming out of, I believe, the center of the earth. And he's going towards heaven. 
He's going towards heaven with captivity, held captive. He's going forward, made an open display of the powers of darkness. This narrative, this, this colorful, wild narrative is unfolding, right? It's happening. And this is the exact same moment that another circumstance is happening. Listen to me carefully, ladies and gentlemen. This is going to help you. I'm going to teach you that you can move God by your love and by your worship and by the fact that you perceive him differently than others. Quickly, very quickly. We recognize this. In John chapter 20, I'll just paraphrase the narrative. In John chapter 20, there's a circumstance that happens where you see Peter and John running to the tomb. And in that same narrative, Mary Magdalene is following them. John and Peter are running to the tomb. Mary can't keep up with them. John and Peter are running. And then it says that John outran Peter to the tomb. But when they got there, Peter was the first one in the tomb, just like he's the first one on the boat. Peter walked on water. He's the first one in the tomb. John's standing in the door. Peter went in the tomb first. John beat him to the tomb, but Peter went in first. They see Jesus isn't there. John looks in and also sees Jesus isn't there. There's a face cloth folded on the table. These things unfold. The next thing you know, John and Peter don't know really what to say. So they leave the tomb. They leave. They're like, where did he go? We don't know where he is. Mary Magdalene shows up. These guys have already done their part. They're looking around. She looks into the tomb. And in John chapter 20, you begin to see that she's looking in the tomb and she doesn't see Jesus, but now she sees two angels. And whether she knows their angels or doesn't know their angels, she looks at them and says, where have you laid his body? Where is he? What's going on here? And she's trying to figure this out because her heart for the Lord was so an act of worship. Her heart for the Lord was so I want to connect with him on an intimate worship level. I want to know him. I want to know Jesus. He's my master. He's my savior. He's my teacher. Where is he? And it wasn't, hey, I'm looking for his body just to do that. She wanted to worship him in death or life. She didn't care. She just loved the Lord. And I believe her heart was so magnificently strong towards worship with the Lord that she's talking to two angels. And suddenly she hears a voice and the voice says, Mary, Mary. And she turns and sees Jesus. And in the beginning, she thinks he's a gardener, right? But when he says, Mary, she realizes this is Jesus. Now, pay attention to what it says in John chapter 20 and verse 17. I'm actually going to turn there very quickly. John chapter 20. Let's jump over here in our Bibles very quickly. It's going to help you today. John chapter 20. Come on. Look at this. John chapter 20. Turn in there quickly. And verse, praise God. John 20, verse 17. Look at this. John 20, verse 17. It says, Jesus said, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God. And then Mary went and did so. Pay very close attention to the subtlety of this verse. He's saying here, I have not yet ascended. Psalm 24, we just showed the narrative. Jesus is coming with captivity out of Abraham's bosom, out of paradise, and they're going towards heaven. He's taking them all there right as he initiates this. I believe he was ascending from the depths. And I believe Mary in that moment, because this is the timeline is right after his death, burial, now resurrection, before he even comes back and resurrects from the dead. This is in between. Jesus is going towards heaven. And I believe Mary's worship, Mary's desire for him pulled him off course for all the, the, the most pivotal moment in eternity, right? Pulls him off course. And he comes and appears to her because of her faith. He says, don't touch me. 
I haven't ascended yet. I'm in the middle of ascending. Don't touch me. I'm in the middle of ascending. And she changed the narrative because of her faith and her perception of God. Woo, I could cry. I could, I could cry. Jesus literally changed his, his, his marching orders, his plan, because he's like, I'm, I'm coming, Father, but this one here is pulling on me in faith, and I'm going to change the process. It's a lot like the woman with the issue of blood. Jesus, you know, she touched the garment. Who touched me? It's a lot like different people in the Bible that changed the narrative. He said, I've not seen faith like this in all of Israel. He marveled at their faith. Jesus marveled at Mary's worship, at her faith, as she changed the narrative. Her perception was this. Now, very quickly, let me say this. There's a number of things in the Word of God. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 12 says, we can hasten the coming of the Lord. I believe what you and I do with circumstances like we're in right now, I believe we can hasten the return of the Lord. I believe we can have an experience with the Lord that begins to, to hasten His return, meaning how we perceive Him, how we act in our lane, how we apply our grace lane, and how we apply this, it says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 12, that we are those who can hasten the coming of the Lord. We can speed it up. We don't know when he's coming. We don't know any of that stuff. But I believe we can hasten it based on the, the, the principle that Mary employed, based on the principle that John employed and the beloved of the Lord, based on all these principles, we can get a different experience than other people. Uh, another scripture in Revelation chapter 10 talks about the seven thunders were spoken. And then the, the word of the Lord came and said, do not write down what you heard. Seal that up. And I've got to say something to you. Deuteronomy 29 verse 29 says, the secret things belong to the Lord but the revealed things he's given to us. It is the glory of kings or the glory of God to conceal a matter. It is the glory of kings to search out a matter. And the simple thing I want to say to you is this 1 Corinthians 4 verses 1 and 2 says that we are stewards of the mysteries of God. And I believe the key to accessing the mysteries of God, things we don't understand, things that are going on is based on our perception that he's a great God, that he loves us. We act like John the Revelator. And even though the word said, Jesus, the word of God said to John, you will drink of this cup. You will drink of this cup. But his perception of God's goodness overrode even the truth of that drinking of the cup. He drank of the cup, but it did not destroy him. Rather, he lived a long, healthy, wealthy life in Jesus. And I got to say this to you, ladies and gentlemen, today. God's called you to live long and prosper. God's called you to have increase. God's called you to go forward and arise to your divine occasion. I hope this helped you today. Start changing your perception. You say, but the word says, it does say, but how you receive the love of God towards you will impact how your life goes. And I want to encourage you today. You can change the narrative of what God has said over you, even though the truth has been spoken. You can still alter the circumstances. God will alter even his plans for pure worshipers that worship him in spirit and in truth, that see him as a great God. You know, as he said in the parable, you knew I was a hard, a hard man, did you? Well, then take what he has and give it to the one who has more. In other words, take what the one who does not believe in my character and give it to the one who does. And I want to say to you, God loves you, and he wants you to know that. And if you believe that and change your perception of God, you're going to have different experiences with God because he'll meet you according to your faith or the level of your believing. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. Well, Ben, that's, that's the stuff right there. And, uh, and uh, I believe that's a now word for a lot of people in this season. And, you know, maybe people are watching right now and, and all that. So I'm just going to take a moment.
and begin to minister a little bit, if that's okay, prophetically to people that may be watching now, later you're watching all of that. I'm just going to be led of the Lord and begin to speak over people right now that are watching. I see a woman with a young child. I see the circumstance with a woman with a young child. And the Lord is saying, I'm going to meet their needs. There has to do with something with a kind of a health issue. I don't know if it's an immune system thing or what's going on, but the Lord's saying, I'm going to develop that child. I'm going to bring this child through. It shall be well with them. All shall be well in the kingdom. And I'm working out this process with them. They have a mind for math and music, and I'm going to heal them and bring strength out of them. There's going to seem like there's some bumpy turns, but later they will stand on the authority of God and begin to lead people in art and worship before my presence. That's what I hear God saying. So fear not, I'm making a way where there is no way. Somebody had a spouse leave them, and God's going to begin to redeem that story and heal. And the, the how can I say it? The latter house will be greater than the first so to speak. And God is taking care of you. He's working out this process right now. I see a person wringing their hands over their bank account. They're wringing their hands. They're going, I don't know what to do. I don't know how this is going to work out. And the Lord says, trust me, get in my economy, and we're going to begin to multiply you out. I hear the Lord saying, I'm going to multiply you. And, and here's a word for people struggling with the fear of loss and financial loss. If God has to bring a fish and flop it across your doorpost and cough up a gold coin, He's going to get you in his economy. If ravens have to come and feed you by a brook and bring meat and bread to you, God will get you resources. And I'm telling you in the name of Jesus, this is the day the Lord has made. I begin to speak over the church of God here, over Ben and Kara's church, over Pastor Freddie's church in Jesus' name. I believe the Lord is mobilizing people that are going to serve and love. I see a grace gift of love and forgiveness being a hallmark in that church. And the Lord says, because of that, I'm going to grow it. I'm going to grow the influence. I'm going to grow the union and the selfless kindness of Jesus that comes through these churches. I believe God is going to begin to multiply. I hear the Spirit of the Lord saying, I'm so pleased with the union and the, the partnership that has happened here. And you're going to begin to see a multiplication. You're going to see it in resources. You're going to see it in favor. You're going to start to see it in the people of God as they arise to their divine occasion. You're going to see young people. Listen, I see young people in these churches, youth that celebrate, youth that know how to celebrate the living God. You're going to see a movement of young lions come out of these churches. Uh, Pastor Ben, movement of young lions is coming out of your church. The Lord says, for I raised you as a father, a father of love, a father of forgiveness, a father of development, and I'm going to cause the young lions to stand up in this time. And the young lions will come, even the young children. A child will begin to prophesy the word of the Lord. I see painting coming alive. I see soul healing coming alive. I see a guild of prophetic voices being raised up from the young lions, and they're going to exercise 1 Corinthians 14.32, the spirit of the prophet that's subject to the prophet and the prophetic guild. And there's going to be healthy prophetic words you can trust coming out of your church, man of God. And God's raising this up in this season. The Lord says, I've supernaturally provided for your church and Pastor Freddie's church in the past, and I will supernaturally multiply you into the future multiplication will come on you and break the bonds. According to Isaiah 10, 27, you're going to break the bonds. It'll break the yoke. Multiplication will do that of the anointing of increase. And God's bringing that forward. I speak blessing and victory over you. I see somebody that's working in the areas of bookkeeping and God's going to rearrange some things and bring strength to you and bring victory in these areas. And it's going to be good for your community and good for the church. God's hand is on this in Jesus name. I see some people, I see an older couple 
I see an older couple, you know, this is probably your parents, Ben. This is probably your parents. I speak blessing over them. The Lord says, I have put a seasoned wisdom and a kindness and a servanthood in them that will cause victory and a life of mentoring that will come forward even as it skips a generation and goes to the younger. And it shall be well with you in Jesus' name. The Lord, I sit so strongly in my spirit. The Lord is saying, I am pleased with this. It is a God-ordained idea that you planted and you're doing what you're doing. I speak this over your congregation. I see some that have been wounded. I see a man coming in and he has a scar on his body from a knife's blade. A knife's blade touched his skin. He has a scar on his body. And the Lord is beginning to say, I'm going to use this man. I'm going to heal this man and restore him into the fullness of what belongs to him. And he will do it as he is willing. And as he listens to the voice of counsel and leadership, I will even take him from the back to the front in the days to come, many seasons from now. If he will hear my voice, he will live. If he will not, he will not receive the breakthrough, but he will have a breakthrough. This man with the, the knife that's touched his skin, I see him coming forward and him beginning to multiply into what God has called him to do. And it's going to be a great understanding. He'll be a victory story and he will preach he will preach with strength and, and discipleship to many. Father, I speak strength. The Lord is saying there's many Simon Peters that are going to be raised up out of this mantle, out of this church. Simon Peters, those that, you know, they, they were wild over here. They, they get brash sometimes. They step out of the boat and they just, they don't even know anything but to just believe God wildly. And Simon Peters are going to be developed in this church, even in a younger generation. It's going to be many Peter anointings around this church. And I see that happening in this community. And God is waking people up to their divine occasion. God is arising people to their divine occasion. This is an opportunity for the people of God. Thank you, Jesus. I see mothers being cared for. I see strength beginning to arise in Jesus' name. I also see a groundbreaking ceremony in due season. I see a groundbreaking ceremony in due season. And the Lord is saying, I'm going to use this for your good. There's going to be a season of brown, groundbreaking ceremony. It may not be soon. It may be down the road. I don't know. But I just see the groundbreaking, and I see victory beginning to pass. And the Lord says, I'm going to use all these things and work it out for your good. And it's going to be good in the hood of uh, Palabra de Vida in Jesus' name. <laughs> so I bless the people of God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. I see art and music exploding. You're going to find multiple worship teams. You're going to find multiple artists. You're going to find many things that begin to happen in this place. And the Lord's waking people up. Uh, I'm speaking to a spirit of anxiety right now. People are dealing with deep anxiety, like what's coming next? What are we going to do? How are we going to function here? And the Lord is beginning to say, peace, my peace I give you, not as the world gives, but my peace I give you. You now, I release the peace that passes understanding. Praise God. God's going to literally multiply those that remain in peace that passes understanding and it's going to be a good season for your church and your people it may be a rocky road in some areas but victory will always overcome the difficulty in jesus name i begin to speak life now in every area the people of god the multiplier of the word of god i thank you father I thank you, Father. Somebody has an inheritance that's tangled up from their family. They've been trying to receive an inheritance, and there's this tangled understanding. They've been going through paperwork. There's been other relatives involved. They're trying to do it, and there's going to be almost a sign that somebody gets their breakthrough of inheritance, and you're going to know God has been with you every step of the way, and the church will have a rejoicing moment at the same time that a pivotal person gets an inheritance that was not supposed to happen or it's, it's been delayed in coming, and I see something breaking through by that, and I don't know if it involves 
property, lands, whatever, but it's something that God's bringing to them. But an inheritance will happen and it'll release some things and people will be blessed in that season. And uh, it's almost like there's an anointing here out of the book of Acts when Barnabas gave a gift and it literally encouraged the body and things began to happen and things came to the apostles' feet. And I see an anointing for this in this community. And the Lord says, because you've chosen the higher road many times and the leaders you work in unity with, God says, I am going to begin to bring strength and a multiplier to this picture and it shall be well with you. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. I begin to just speak life over every person watching this. You don't have to be afraid, not for one second. And I know discouragement may come and people say, well, that's part of life. No, it's not. You lean in and begin to say, Jesus is my Lord. He loves me. And tomorrow's going to be better than today. And if it ain't, you say it again. Tomorrow's going to be better than today. You can be like Annie, tomorrow, tomorrow, I love you. Tomorrow, <laughs> the sun will come out tomorrow. But I got to tell you, Annie ended up pretty good. <laughs> so I just want to say over you, Jesus name, God loves you. This is a good day in the gospel. And I'm so pleased to be with you guys today.